You're listening to Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. We're interviewing marketing leaders to discuss how they're using customer data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Data Unlocked podcast. In this podcast, we explore ways in which data drives creativity and innovation for marketers. And we explore that with the best and brightest in the industry. My name is Jason Davis, founder and CEO of Simon Data, a growth platform driving smarter marketing for brands like JetBlue, TripAdvisor, Equinox, and BarkBox. Today, I'm excited to have Matt Greitzer, co-founder of Actable, on our podcast here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. So, Matt, we've been partners with you and Actable for quite some time now. Maybe you can tell us a bit about what you do, your role, and a bit about Actable. Yeah, sure, sure. I'm the co-founder of Actable, and Actable as a business is a customer data accelerator. And so what we do is work with enterprises to help them organize and analyze and deploy customer data to drive business value. Our approach to that is very much from a professional services standpoint. So from what we see, there's sort of these fundamental problems that enterprises have that are organizational, that are developmental and executional. And though there's solutions out there like yours who help on a technical side to make these problems go away, on a services side and a skill set side, there's often a gap there. So we come in and really work with enterprises and organizations on the sort of in the trenches work that's required to make this data actually deliver value for their business. Yeah, that's great. And maybe we can just really focus on that aspect of delivering value. And one of my favorite stats that I think really just sort of exemplifies some of the challenges and opportunities around data. I think early last year, McKinsey had a survey and they found that only 30% of CEOs think that their analytics strategy aligns with their business strategy. To your point, Matt, when we think about this problem, we certainly take a technical lens to the problem. But as someone in your role, focusing more holistically across both the implementation, the technology, and the teams, what does this stat mean for you? And where do you see real potential around unlocking data in a way that businesses have not yet been able to affect? Yeah, well, there's a bunch of challenges. Some are obvious and some are not obvious. But I think on that stat, a lot of what we find is that data, in theory, exists in organizations. But in reality, It's really like locked away in various places, and it's not necessarily deployed at business goals. It's more of an esoteric exercise in a lot of cases. And there's sort of technical reasons for that, and there's organizational reasons for that, and then there's practical reasons for that. And so we've tried to work on a sort of organizational perspective with clients, really to how do you figure out how to unstick data from internal pockets within an organization and then get it out into an ecosystem where it can be analyzed, deployed, and enriched. And that's often the gap is sort of the theoretical desire and the theoretical understanding of what to do with data in an enterprise and then the actual practical ability to get that stuff done. Yeah, it's sort of funny you go through this. There was a survey that Gartner put out last week. It was was very, very interesting. They were really digging into the customer 360. And they surveyed, I think, about a thousand marketing professionals and asked them, have you been able to effectively deploy the customer 360 into your organization? I think only like 14% said yes. And for me, what was so mystifying is over half of the respondents who didn't have the customer 360 cited that the reason for that was they couldn't align on what it was. Uh, Really, to your point, Matt, it's a capability 
predictability. And at the end of the day, a customer 316 alone doesn't represent any outcome that's data-driven. And I think this is the challenge that we're in today with so many organizations and their data strategies is they focus on these buzzwords. They focus on these capabilities. And really the through line to what do these capabilities drive from an outcomes perspective can be lost in the conversation across the technology and what assets and what competencies your organization needs. Well, at the end of the day, it's a matter of you know, how do you actually use this data as an example to drive great marketing segmentation or risk personalization for your email marketing program. Yeah, there's a way that we're starting to see some of our customers come at it, which is that kind of working backwards, which is what are you trying to do with the data? How is it actually going to create value for your enterprise? And what are the specific deployments for that? How is it going to make your customer service center more effective? And what information do they need to be responsive when somebody calls up with a problem? And if you start there, then you can work backwards and say, well, okay, well, what data do we have to surface from what systems in order to make that happen? And at least that gives you a path. I think when you start the other way and maybe try to go top down, it can become daunting, particularly with like large enterprises where they've got decades of tech debt and data debt that they're trying to pay off. It can be hard to do that top down. So the use case driven or, you know, what are you trying to do with the outcome approach seems to work well. And we've started to see a lot of our customers move towards that. Yeah. And, you know, as a data geek by trade, I always refer to something that I call the next generation data pipe. And it's really thinking about what's the value chain of data after it leaves the data warehouse or your data systems. And really, how do you think about the process holistically from data collection to aggregation in these systems to really unlocking that, you know, to do inference, to do analysis, to drive machine learning, and then to actually deploy that machine learning into a real world deployment that drives business value, that can show revenue, that can drive a great experience for a customer, etc. So I really like how you framed it in terms of working backwards, but maybe you can sort of talk to me about when you see all this working well together. How do you put one and one in place such that the right data can drive great business outcomes. And what does that look like? Yeah, well, you just kind of walked through the steps. I mean, I think fundamentally it starts with good data. So good data collection, good data curation, good data organization. And that's sort of a foundational requirement. Now it's never going to be perfect. There's just no perfect data. It is an end goal, but it's not really an end state. But good data collection is important. And then from there, there needs to be a way to surface that data and make it sort of fluent and fluid across an organization. And we see that often lacking. Data often exists, but it's just stuck. And so once data gets surfaced, it's got to be accessible. Accessible and available to people who can then make sense of it and deploy it for business outcomes. That's another area that I think we see a lot of challenges is sometimes data is accessible, but it's maybe accessible within a group or an organization that isn't necessarily aligned to business outcomes. And that creates a point of friction in terms of resourcing and end goals. So it's got to be accessible to people who can drive business outcomes. And then you need to be able to deploy it into an activation channel. Ultimately, that's an activation channel, which typically impacts customer, customer relationship or customer experience. And if you can enrich that with machine learning and you can be smarter about how you're interacting with those customers because of those enrichments, that's even better. And again, you described it in your setup to the question. It is a process that exists. There's a method and a framework for it to get it done well is work, but it's work that's doable and work that we've seen produce really meaningful outcomes when it does actually manifest. Yeah, totally. How are leading brands using data to bring more deeply personalized experiences to market? Find out on Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.
I'd love to transition to a topic that I call, from a technical perspective, learning bias. But ultimately, when we see machine learning and how it's used in the wild, you know, the example I always love to use is you have a whole bunch of data on historical transactions and customer activity, and you want to predict which customers are in danger of churning. And the algorithm might say, hey, 4% of your customers, these guys, there's some real risk here. They may never buy again. They may never come to your site again. They may have no interest in your product. And while that information, that context, and that analysis, and that inference can be valuable on its own, really the business outcome can be much more than just an insights or reporting function. You can take this to a CFO. The CFO can then model it into next quarter's earnings and say, hey, good to know. We'll discount this to set expectations. But of course, more strategically, and when I sort of think about the power of data, it's embedding this operationally into driving a business outcome. And with this example, the goal of a churn analysis algorithm can be powerfully used to actually prevent churn. But when you think about the process of preventing churn, well, it's not just a matter of sending you a message, you know, Brian, and saying you were identified as an at-risk customer, you need to come back now and join again. You know, there's strategies you can use. You know, you can think about incentivizing customers with discounts, focusing on core value proposition, new product offerings, et cetera. But of course, this context that's used to actually prevent churn and not, and not identify churn or, or identify churn risk, there's a bit of a disconnect between those sort of two arms. So, Maybe you can talk a bit about that and how you sort of think about the training process and really making sure that it works at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, for us, a lot of it is about the deployment. We typically focus on machine learning for specific business outcomes, like churn is one of the areas we focus specifically. And I think where we've seen that deployed effectively is where you can make decisions about what to do and then what not to do with a group of customers on that outcome. And so for a churn model, like a well-deployed use of that would be, you mentioned discounting. Well, discounting is expensive. And so for a number of enterprises, like a big concern of theirs is to whom should I discount and when and why? And a good churn model, well-deployed, can help you make that decision and frankly save a lot of money and opportunity costs providing discounts where they're not necessary and ultimately create loyalty by providing discounts where they're going to have an impact and drive additional value. So for us, like the modeling itself as an insight, that's interesting, but the modeling itself into deployment for an outbound activation, whether that's through email or whether that's through advertising or whether that's through direct mail or some sort of customer experience that's going to actually drive an action, that's where the utility really lies. We almost see it as two sides of the same coin. We, with our modeling, we'll always give feedback and insights to say, hey, here's what we learned and here's how the customer segmentation sort of stacks up against your customer base. But there's always an outbound deployment uh, aspect of that as well. And for us, really, the most important part of it is like, are you using this model to do a thing that's going to drive an action? Yeah, now this gets back to your point around working backwards. It's impossible to train a model around a marketing campaign that has yet been designed and deployed. And at the end of the day, if you're able to work backwards and to think about the context of the customer and the inputs and the requirements to actually really identify the right set of folks and the right message, ultimately, human intuition plays a big part in all of this, which is why we're not having a conversation around you know, replacing marketing with data science. We're having a conversation around uh, augmenting uh, data analysis with data science and machine learning. You, to in some sense, turn every marketer into a superhero. Take you know, the world of data, uh, which was previously inaccessible to them, and really put it at their fingertips with high-powered machine learning, deep and bespoke segmentation capabilities, and then, of course, the workflow that drives data analysis, insights, and reporting at every single step. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tool, right? Machine learning, in this case, is a tool, and the tool has to be used and utilized and like well-deployed, like any tool. And it's not a cure-all. And I think today, most people understand that. I guess we've been in the industry for a while. 10 years ago, maybe people thought that you could solve all of these problems with well-deployed machine learning and AI. 
Maybe that's the future, but today it's additive. It's definitely an enrichment that you should use and take advantage of, but it's a tool. Like any other tool, you've got to use it well and you've got to know how to use it in where. Yeah, 100%. I know we're sort of approaching on time here and I'll sort of give a quick observation that took me, at least in my machine learning career, a surprisingly long time, at least in hindsight, to recognize. And I do think there's sort of two classes of machine learning problems broadly. There are those where the machine can completely represent the context of the problem. So you think about self-driving cars, you think about natural language processing, where you can put cameras everywhere, you can see all the handwritten text, you can see all the words written on a page, etc. And these problems can be sort of fully described by the data. And deep learning, when this came you know, into the scene about 10 years ago, was hugely disruptive in enabling a next generation of outcomes around self-driving automobiles. On the other side, if you look at a lot of problems that exist in business applications, you're not really describing, you know, data only describes a very small aspect of what's going on. If you're an e-commerce company, you ship a customer a product, yes, you know how much they paid for it, yes, you know when they received the product, but you have no idea what they said to their spouse or their kids or their parent when they open it up and whether, you know, whether yeah. a great experience yeah. So ultimately, there's a whole aspect of the process, which is just completely not represented by data. A hundred percent correct. You just can never account for somebody's having a bad day. And at some point for an individual, that's going to matter in terms of how they're going to act or not act. In aggregate, you can maybe not have to worry about that. And that's where the, I think the way you described it is sort of knowable and unknowable and the utility of different modeling for different applications. And again, that's why we see it as a tool. It's a really valuable tool and it can drive meaningful business outcomes, not a panacea. And if there is a self-driving car, by the way, that is fully self-driving, please let me know because I'd be very into that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll have to do a, another episode next year, the following year. We'll see how things have progressed. But it's pretty amazing and, and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> so with that, Matt, thanks for coming on the podcast today and, and sharing your wisdom. When I sort of reflect on our conversation, I think at the end of the day, data really is only as good as how it's applied. And the power of data can be amplified through smart inference, through smart analysis, and certainly through smart machine learning. But ultimately, it's about starting with great data, doing great analysis, and then deploying it into the right applications. And until all three are in place across people, processes, and systems layer, it's very, very hard to really get great results with data. And Matt, the work that you do across the organization outside of technology, and of course, within technology as well, is really great. Your views are fantastic and really bring together both sides of the organization to make sure that the data is actually doing what matters ultimately is where value creation happens. So with that, for anyone listening, Matt, who wants to learn more about Actable, maybe you can talk a bit about how they can find you guys. Yeah, sure. We're actabledata.com and I'm Matt at actabledata.com. And so if anybody wants to learn more about Actable, please reach out anytime. Thank you to everyone listening to this episode of the Data Unlocked podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about Simon Data, please visit us on the web at simondata.com or email us at hello at simondata. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. You've been listening to the Data Unlocked, driving better marketing with better data. You can listen to more episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Simon Data. We help marketers unlock their customer data to deliver a better customer experience at scale.